Chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. <clears throat> so ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness, nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody. And let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away, and, away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the lord of the land, spoke roughly to us, and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. 
Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an, was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. <clears throat> then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back to your other brother, may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make, our, make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house, and given them water, and they had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. 
And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he, and he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys, and they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices uh, divination? And he, you, have spoke, you have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that, that we found in the mouths of his sacks we've, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him on the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And, jo and Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, please do not, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a, a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down from you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. 
And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore two sons. One left, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would, that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And when Joseph made it, when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is not my father still alive? Brothers, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. We shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Now your eyes now your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father, for all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. In, have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do not do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And, and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Egypt, uh, sorry, the sons of Israel did this, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. 
to each and to all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave three shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To this to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brother, brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of his father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. It says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. Jacob and his sons Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and, his son, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of, the, of a Canaanite woman the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamel, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yab, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padam Aram, together with his daughter Dinah, altogether his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphian, Hagi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Aradi, and Areli, the sons of Asher, Imnah, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, and Sarah their sister, the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Huppam, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all, the son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shillam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All these persons belonging to Jacob, who came into Egypt, 
who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons in the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He, and, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to, in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood in before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's household with food, according to the numbers of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of, fa of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they, brought, that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for, horses, for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him in the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of our livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, that we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, 
and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all that the land bought all in, all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because of the famine was severe on them, and the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. lots of verses on Sunday night. Um, we're going to start trying to memorize all of Genesis chapter 42 through 47, starting. <laughs> Maybe not. No, no one, no one seems super excited about that. Okay, so I know, and I, 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 I apologize for, for the, what, that was probably 15 plus minutes of reading. I don't, actually, you know what, I don't apologize. That's 15 plus minutes of reading the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. Uh, but, but one of the things that I just want to say is, I, I know that this is a long section that we're going to be in today, but I think this one story, this, this back and forth, this interaction between Joseph and his brothers and their father, as God is bringing all of Jacob's family, all of the people who are, who are heirs to the promise of God that we've been studying ever since the beginning of Genesis, uh, as all of these people begin to move into Egypt, this one story of this whole interaction and the way that God is working this out through these relationships, uh, I just think it, it's so important that we kind of take this one story together as a whole because I think there's a couple of really powerful big picture things that we're going to get to pull out of this. But the first thing you got to realize, when, when we see uh, Joseph's brothers coming, to eat, coming into Egypt looking for food and they're brought before their brother. They don't recognize him, all of this. It's been 20 years since they last saw him. It's been 20 years since they threw him in a pit and some of them sold him into slavery thinking that's the last we're going to see of him. That's the last we have to deal with him. And the, and the lie, the ruse that they've been playing on their father, they've been keeping up for 20 years. At this point, perhaps it would seem like maybe they had convinced themselves that it really was true that he was dead and gone and they would never have to deal with it. 
That, that that sin that they'd committed, they'd finally gotten away with it, and they were never going to actually have to face the results of that sin. I mean, sometimes maybe, maybe you feel that way. Maybe you think, I've been doing this thing, and I've gotten away with it, and now, now if I just ignore it for the rest of my life, it'll never come back to haunt me. One of those, one of those moments where you're thinking, I'm going to finally get away with something, and we see, even, even if it takes 20 years... Even as it takes 20 years, this still comes back full circle. But, but the, the, the amazing thing within this is that we're seeing that even through those 20 years, and we know what Joseph's been through in 20 years, and we see that, that famine has struck the land during those 20 years, and that, that Jacob's sons and their whole family are facing this famine. They're running out of food. Like We see the situation. It wasn't necessarily joyful and perfect for 20 years. It's been, it's been tough, but we're immediately reminded that God has been faithful during those 20 years. And we're immediately reminded because, because what is the first thing that happens when, when Joseph's brothers are brought into his presence? What was the first thing that it says that they did when they walked into the presence of Joseph, not knowing who he was? What was the action that they took? This is a response time. You can tell me. What did they do? I don't know. You don't know? Oh, can you say that what was the first thing they did? Oh. What did they do? Well, they put him in a pit like 20 years ago. We, I mean, kids can start guessing. Grown-ups can shout out too. They bowed down to him. Why is that so significant that they came and they bowed down to him? Again, response time. Because he dreamed this 20 years ago. The very reason they hated him so much and wanted to kill him and send him away and they sold him into slavery was because he came to them with a dream saying, I had a dream that all of you guys bowed down to me. And then I had another dream that all you guys bowed down to me. And what happens twice in this exchange? They bowed down to him. Right. His brothers walk into his presence on multiple occasions and humbly, desperately bow down before him. Now, it's really easy to see that and say, oh, wow, that happened. But, but amidst all of the chaos that has been Joseph's life, if the reader has been paying attention to the way that God has been working through his life all along, that should be a really remarkable moment for us to realize, oh wait, that's the answer to, that's the, answer to the dream that God had given him 20 years before. Which means, it reminds us that for that whole 20 years, God has been at work in Joseph's life getting him to this point. Like, like at no point had God abandoned him. We've talked about this off and on. Like he left him in prison last week when we were talking about it, but ultimately, you know, he, he kind of blessed him and put him in this position of power. And that's cool in that moment. But, but even in all of those bad moments throughout the 20 years, even when he was kind of working as a servant in, in Potiphar's house or, or all of this time, for 20 years, God had still been faithfully executing his plan in Joseph's life. And the moment his brothers come up, and it says, he knew it was them right away. He knew. He, he, was, he, he saw him walking. He's like, this is them. And they bow down before him. I don't think it's lost on Joseph that this was the fulfillment of his dream. That he said, God has finally answered this moment in my life. And we've seen dreams in Joseph's life that have been answered quickly. Sometimes he says, you know, think about the cupbearer and the baker when they came to him and they said, hey, we have this dream. What does this mean? He says, oh, tomorrow you're going to get out of jail. 
tomorrow you're going to get out of jail and then you're going to die. Like those are, the, those are the quick dream interpretations. But Joseph's dream to his brothers took 20 years. And I think it's worth us noting as the church that God's promises don't always promise a specific timeline. Just because God promises something to us, just because, I'm jumping way ahead in the Bible, just because Jesus says, I'm coming back, doesn't mean it's going to be quick, right? Think, think about, I'm just, again, just to kind of follow that line of thought for a second, think about all of the disciples who were gathered around with Jesus when he was taken back up into heaven, right? And they're watching him go, they're watching him go, they're watching him go, and eventually he's covered by a cloud and gone. And then an angel appears and he says, why are y'all still looking up at the sky? Right? Just a big group of people standing in a circle, just looking up. He's like, what are y'all doing? They're like, well, he said he was coming back. Angel said, not yet. You've got more things to do. You have more life to experience. You have more, you have more actions that you are called to take between now and then. And, and that was Joseph's experience. He had this dream Oh, my brothers are going to bow down to me. It didn't mean tomorrow everything was going to be peachy and they were going to be like humbly bowing down before him and worshiping him the way that their father had up to that point. So sometimes, I just, and this is, this is why this is important, sometimes we have to have this perspective about us that, that when God has promised us things, when God promises that he's going to build his church, when God promises that he's going to save people, when God promises that the church is going to be baptizing and going around the world and reaching out to all of these different nations and that all of the nations are going to crawl out to the name of the Lord, right? When he makes those promises, we can hope that they happen quickly. We can pray that God would come back and he would fix his creation. We can pray that God would come back and that we would get to be with Jesus forever. But sometimes those promises take a while to be fulfilled. And in this moment, Joseph is kind of getting to see that long game play out. He's getting to see the ultimate fulfillment. Sure, I would imagine it was great when Pharaoh said, you're going to be the second in command of all of Egypt, and you're going to be the most important only under me. And I'm sure that was really fulfilling for him and really satisfying given what his life had been for the last 20 years or 14 years or whatever at that point. I'm sure that was great. But how much better is it to also in this moment see the promise of God fulfilled in your life in this way? How much more satisfying is it for us when we finally get to come to that realization, oh, that's what God was doing. And now not just seeing a good thing happen to us, not just something that makes us feel blessed, but even more being able to have this perspective, oh, look at what God has now accomplished that's the place where I think the ultimate fulfillment really comes in. And I love, I love just, again, the echoing across generations, right? Because what did we know about Jacob for so long, Joseph's father? That he was deceptive. That he was tricky. And what is it that Joseph does when he sees his brothers come in and bow down? Does he immediately say, guys, it's so good to see you. No. He holds up this ruse. He kind of lets the, let the moment kind of continue for a while. He, he carries it on because he kind of wants, and, and, and we don't get a lot of info about his motivation in why he decides to continue to maintain this separation between him and his brothers. We get, we get some moments where we see what's really going on in his heart and how, how much he loves them and how much he wants to talk to them. Right? I mean, think about it. When they come to his house to have dinner and they're all hanging out, 
and he like sees his brothers, and he sees, and eventually he sees Benjamin. He's like, I got to get out of here for a second and just go cry in my room. Maybe you, maybe you feel that way sometimes. You're just so overwhelmed. I just need to go to my room and cry for a little bit. Maybe not. No, I see some nodding. But like, we see what's in his heart. Like he wants to, he wants to reveal this to him. So we don't really get a lot of information as to why he's so sneaky about this. But part of me wonders if it's, there's still a little bit of Jacob in Joseph. It kind of reminds me, um, it's been forever since I've read Tom Sawyer. Has there anybody read Tom Sawyer in like the recent past? Does anybody remember when like Tom Sawyer and Huck, like they go off and they're hanging out doing something irresponsible probably for a long period of time and the whole town decides, oh, they're probably dead. We should probably have a funeral for Tom. And then, like, Tom comes back and, like, sneaks in just because he wants to watch his own funeral and hear everybody be sad about him. And then he pops back in. He's like, hey, I'm here. There's a little bit of that drama (laughs) that I associate with this story. Just this idea of maintaining this ruse for a little bit longer just to kind of see what people really think, see how people react. Because we see in all of this... Joseph's getting some glimpses of where his brother's hearts are in this. And it even talks about it. Because obviously, Joseph had been speaking a different language through a translator, so it kind of helped really maintain this ruse. But he understood everything that his brothers were saying. They were all, oh, we're being punished now because of the way that we treated Joseph so many years ago. This is God cursing us. This is God, this is God getting back at us. And, and I wonder if he's been maintaining this ruse just because he's wanting to hear kind of where his brother's hearts are at this point. I mean, we don't get that specifically. But, but So we don't, get, we don't get a whole lot of commentary within Scripture whether or not it was right or wrong for Joseph to kind of maintain this disguise with them during this interaction for a while. So, so I don't think we can like prescribe, hey, so you should pretend to be dead so that you hear how people feel about you. Like I'm not saying that's a good idea. But through this, he's getting to see little glimpses of where his brother's hearts have been. And we see... That, that even though it has been 20 years, no, they have not forgotten the guilt of what it was that they had done to Joseph. That guilt had kind of lingered with them. They still felt some, some measure of guilt over what it was that they had, that sin that they had committed against him. And they were worried that this was God now punishing them as, as Joseph's pulling some into, into prison and sending some away and trying to get everybody back. And we, and we, see, their, we see their fear in how they deal with Joseph. And, and Joseph's kind of seeing all of this. But I just want to point out one point here about one of his brothers. And that's Judah. Because look at Judah's attitude uh, when, they're, when they're back in Canaan speaking to their father, and, and Jacob says to them, I don't want to send Benjamin back. I've already lost my favorite son. I don't want to lose the others. Which, by the way, that's got to be really encouraging for the rest of the guys. Like, you guys can go, but I don't want to lose my other favorite son, too. But, there's, but what does Judah say? He says, his life is on me. I will take his place. I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure that my brother Benjamin is safe. Look at Judah's attitude when they come back together and Joseph says, no, I'm going to keep your youngest brother, right? What does Judah say? No, no, no. Please, take me. Let me be the one to take his place. 
Let me be the one to kind of make up for whatever frustration or anger you're showing against my brothers. Let me be the one who takes that burden on myself. And, and that seems to be the moment. Once, once Joseph sees his brother Judah, and, and I guess you could say even like the growth or the humility or the brokenness in his heart, that's the moment that Joseph could no longer stand it. Once he saw that, that, new, that new spirit within Judah, that, that willingness to go to whatever length for the sake of his father, for the sake of his brothers, his willingness to kind of sacrifice himself in that way, that's the moment that breaks Joseph out of his ability to continue to keep up this, this act. And he sends everybody away. He says, guys, it's okay. It's me. And, we, and we've seen it kind of building up within him all throughout this story, right? Have you ever felt that way about somebody or something? Or like if, if, you're, if you're me, you're really bad about wanting to tell people like what you got them for Christmas or for their birthday or something like that. You get so excited, you're like... I just want to tell you this thing's really exciting. Because I'm real bad at keeping secrets. Like, real bad. Don't tell me a secret. If you want everybody to know, then you tell me. But, like, because you get this, this, like, excited feeling within you. It's like, I just, I got to tell you. I want to tell you. We've seen it building up. We've seen it building up. And he's, you know, have to get away, go hide, so that he can kind of feel all the weight of this emotion that he's feeling, this love that he has toward his brothers. And ultimately, in this moment, when he sees his brother Judah saying, I'm willing to take the fall for the rest of my family. Take, care, take me, but let them go. I'm here. I will, I will, I will take whatever on I need to. It's, it's just more than he can take. And he sends everybody else and he says, guys, it's me. And what are, what are his brother's initial reaction? Right? Their jaw probably drops. They're probably sitting there going, oh, no. Right? You know, that, it's, like, it's like that moment when, when you've broken that thing that's valuable or you've done that thing that you shouldn't do. And then, and then somebody walks around the corner and catches you and you're like, that deer in the headlights moment when you're like, I'm in trouble. Right? That has to be what they're feeling. They're like, oh, that guy we tried to kill now is in charge of the greatest world superpower that the world has known up to this point. Cool. This is going to be good for us, right? That's immediately what they're thinking. No, they're terrified. They're thinking, oh man, we're in trouble now because we know what we've done. We've already been talking about it in front of him, what we've done. He knows this is going to be bad. But what is Joseph's attitude? He says, guys, don't worry about that. I've just missed you. I love you. I want to see you. I want to see my dad. I've just wanted to be together as a family. And I think it's, it's amazing for us because, because in this moment, there are so many ways that he could have responded. There's so many things that he could have been feeling toward his family. After 20 years of being sold into slavery, right? After 20 years, one of my absolute favorite movies of all time is The Count of Monte Cristo. Who has seen The Count of Monte Cristo? Jim Caviezel's Count of Monte Cristo. This is, okay, there were nowhere near enough hands going up. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. This is your homework for the week. Either, either find somebody that has Amazon Prime or use your own Amazon Prime. Watch The Count of Monte Cristo. It is an amazing movie. I'm going to spoil lots of it for you right now, though. <laughs> Because I have to to make this point. 
The premise of the Count of Monte Cristo is this, this simple, uneducated, not very wealthy guy continues to get good things happening to him. Good things continue to happen for him. And, and his best friend, who's this wealthy, well-to-do guy, just continues to get more and more jealous of him. And things keep going his way. And these people that, that he keeps passing up and he continues to be you know, highlighted more than, honored more than, get more and more jealous to the point that he even ends up in, in some sort of... I'm, I'm going to try real hard not to spoil this for you. He ends up offending uh, somebody who's high up in the government of the town. And the, and, and the three people that he's been kind of interacting with up to this point decide... We just want to get rid of this guy. We're done with him. And so they ship him off to this, like, the maximum security prison of the day. It's like out on this island where they just beat you every year and then they just forget you. And they send him off there and he's there for 20, 30, 13, I don't remember. I don't remember the number, details. For a long time, long enough to grow a beard like this long. And during that time, all he does is stew and think about his revenge on these guys. And most of the rest of, the, of the, the story is him holding on to this anger. And there's this one moment in there where, where one of his, his, his newfound friends says, man, you've already won. Let go of this. And he says, don't take my anger away from me. It's all I have left. Don't let me, don't, don't tell me to just forgive these guys. This is all that I have. All I want to do is get back at these guys for what they have done to me. And that is a very understandable mindset. And one that I think at this point, we would expect Joseph to have had toward his brothers. Don't, don't make this okay. Don't make me like you again. I just want to be mad at you because you've done bad things to me. And I will be so angry with you if you take away my ability to only want to exact revenge on you for the evil things that you've done to me. That's, that's what we would expect. That's what we would we'd hope we would be able to get. That's what, that's what we want to think sometimes, that, that I'm going to be able to get back at, at these people that have done all these bad things. But no, Joseph's attitude, when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, he says, guys, don't worry about any of that. Because, because God was at work in all of this. God was trying to accomplish something very specifically in all of this. I'm going to go back and read a section in chapter 45. I'm just, it's, it's not going to be on the screen. Uh, but it's going to, I'm just going to pick up here in verse... Of chapter 45. He says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What a sentence. Don't be mad at yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you 
many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Look at what Joseph's saying here. He's saying, the whole point of you selling me here was so that God could preserve our family. Right? What has God's promise been ever since we started reading in the book of Genesis? And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to start jumping into where I'm going next week, but that's okay. I'm just excited about this. But what is he saying? He's saying, God sent me here so that I could bring you here so that I could save our family. Because God has promised that he's going to save all of the world, all the nations, through this family. So don't think that I should be angry because, again, I've talked about this before. The, the, the real key to spiritual maturity is being able to quickly come to a right perspective about how God is working in your life at any given moment. The more closely connected we are with God, the more, the more attuned we are to the Holy Spirit's working within us, the more whatever situation you find yourself in, good, bad, evil being committed against you, bad things happening to you, great things happening to you, you quickly get back to this perspective. All of this is because God is working in me in a specific way. The quicker we can get to that point, the more healthy our spiritual perspective is. I don't know what it is that you are going through, but whatever it is that you are facing in whatever situation it is, God is specifically at work. If something great is happening to you, if somebody gives you, if you get a raise at work, or if somebody says, hey, I just want to take you out and buy you dinner, that'd be great. Don't just think, man, I'm pretty swell. That person wanted to buy me dinner. No, think, man, God is great and he just did this great thing. When, it's, when things are good, we give credit to God. When things are bad, we understand that God is at work even in that as well. And that's where Joseph is, and that's what Joseph is teaching his brothers. Guys, he sent me, he, he, you didn't send me into Egypt. God brought me here ahead of you because he wants to protect our family. I'm skipping ahead. These verses are going to be on the screen. This is Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. It says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Acts 7, verse 17 says, But as the time of promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. The whole point of God's people being brought into the land was so that God could now grow them into the great nation he promised that he would. They were a small family. How many people did it say moved in with them when they came? Twelve sons. How many people? Seventy people. And that probably doesn't count a lot of people. That's probably just like a lot of the sons and the sons' sons and the daughters' sons and, and the sons' sons' sons, that kind of thing. Seventy people. By the time Israel leaves Egypt next time, there's going to be two million of them. They're going to become a nation while they are in Egypt. Right now, they're a family. And we've talked about this. God's been working specifically through this family, but this family is now going to become a nation. And Joseph sees that 
that all of this evil that has happened against him was so that God could bring them to Egypt so that they could grow and multiply and flourish. All of this is happening because God has been orchestrating it all along. And so he moves his family. He brings his family in and he begins to bless them. He gives them, Pharaoh gives them the best of the land. He says, I want you to have the best things that you can have. I want you to do well. I want you to be successful. I want to give you, I want to give you meaningful work. I want to give you play, like positions of importance in the land. I want to put you in a place where you're going to be able to not just survive the famine, but thrive throughout the famine. And so, and so the, the whole, all the people of Israel are moved into this land and begin to grow and begin to flourish and begin to become the nation that God has called them to be. And then we get this description of the way that Joseph begins to work throughout the rest of the famine. People are coming. They're like, we don't have any more money. He's like, fine, give me your livestock. And he says, okay, fine, we're out of livestock, fine, just give me your land. And we see that God begins to bless and build up all of Pharaoh's wealth. Why is this important? Because God is making Egypt into a great and powerful nation so that he can continue to preserve and protect his people so that they can grow and flourish under the protection of the greatest superpower the world had known up to that point. Think about like a premature baby that's born. What do you do with them for the first little bit? You put them in this incubator. You put them in this kind of protective cocoon where they can be protected from all the outside elements until they can grow and become strong. And it's only when, once they're strong enough to kind of survive on their own that then, then you take them out and they begin to kind of exist on their own. That's what God's doing with Egypt. He's sending them into this place to protect them and incubate them for a long period of time so that they can become strong enough to survive on their own as a nation. But here's what's cool. And I want to kind of call back to something we talked about just a little bit ago. Of all the sons of Jacob who were willing to step out and really act as servants and protect their brothers, Judah was the one to step forward and say, I know that you want my brother Benjamin, I know you want to treat us this way, but please allow me to take my brother's place. Well, about a thousand years from now, one of Judah's sons, whose name is going to be Jesus, is going to do exactly that. He's going to be the one to step forward and say, you deserve this, but allow me to be the one to take your place in that. But before he was able to do that, before he, was, before he had grown up and was, was called to that point where he was willing to, to take our place, to, to take on our sin in place of ourselves and take on the punishment and wrath of God as our replacement, while he was still small 
and not safe, not able to protect himself. When an evil king wanted to kill him and destroy him to try to prevent him from becoming who he was supposed to be. What did God do with Jesus and his family? He sent him to Egypt so that he could be safe and protected and grow until he called him back out of Egypt like God will one day do with his nation of Israel so that they can become this representative people of God on earth. All of this that we've been studying for the past, what, eight, nine, almost nine, no, it's been a long time, nine months at this point, all of this, we keep saying, points us right back to Jesus and right back to the cross. Because, because God doesn't change the way that he works. God is always the same. He does not change. All of this is pointing us toward ultimately what God's plan was, which is, I'm going to create a people. And I'm going to preserve and I'm going to protect them. And it's by the sacrifice of my son, the Lion of Judah, Son of Israel, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Ultimate fulfillment of promise. Through that son, through Jesus, I am going to protect you and I am going to preserve you. And we're just going to keep hitting this idea again next week. Because next week, this is it. We're finishing Genesis next week. And, and I want this idea even if it just means I keep saying the exact same thing for half an hour next Sunday, I want us to see this, that God is faithful to complete the promises that he makes, even if it takes 20 years going through, going through servanthood and prison, false imprisonment, being forgotten, suffering through famine, through all of this, Jesus ultimately is going to come out of this and is going to be our one and only hope for salvation. So if you're in the middle of some sort of 20-year waiting period, or if you're in the middle of something really, really painful even right now, let us get this right perspective that in all of the things that we are facing and all of the things that we are feeling Two things are true. God is faithful and our hope is in Jesus. Let's pray.